Well, if you've had kids, then you've had to remind them at one point in time or another that everything they have is not theirs, right? That, that you own it, right? That they're, they, don't, they don't really own any. The clothes they have are really your clothes. You're just letting them borrow them, right? The food that they eat isn't really their food. It's, fu- it's your food. You're just letting them borrow your food, right? And the list goes on and on. It's not yours. It's mine. I'm letting you borrow it. We've, we've kind of had to remind ourselves all over again with this in our own family with Levi's car. It's not really Levi's car. It's our car. We just let him drive it from time to time, right? We, we pay for it. We put the gas in it. We pay for the insurance. It's not his. We own it. We just let him borrow it, right? So he's not the owner. He's the, the manager of it, right? There's, there's a big difference in being the owner and the manager, right? And when you're not the owner, you're a, merit, a, a, a manager, the Bible calls that being a steward. A steward, a manager doesn't own anything. They manage what they have for the owner. And what happens when a manager, when a steward doesn't manage something well that the owner owns? Well, the owner goes and gets a new manager, right? That's the consequence, right? When you don't steward well, when you don't manage well that which the owner owns, the owner goes and finds a new steward, a new manager. Same thing happens when a manager or when a steward starts thinking that what they have is theirs. And the owner's like, no, no, wait a second. It's not yours, it's mine. You're, You're just managing it for me. I'm the owner. And so anytime a manager, a steward starts thinking that what they have is actually theirs, the owner is gonna go and get a new steward, a new manager. You see, here's what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that you and I don't own anything, that everything we have belongs to God and that you and I are stewards, we're managers of God's stuff. It's not your stuff, it's his stuff that he's letting you borrow, that he's letting you manage for him on his behalf. Today, we're gonna talk about an example of stewardship in the first century. Then we're gonna talk about what that means for us as a church and what that means for you individually. We're in the middle of a series that we've called First. A year ago, our church began a season that we called Project One. And we're at the midpoint of that season and we're reminding ourselves and we're refreshing ourselves and our hearts on what Project One was all about with this series that we're calling First, Now, our team has put together these incredible guidebooks, and if you haven't gotten one yet, I just want to ask you to slip your hand up, and they're going to come and bring you one of these first guidebooks. We got some people up here on the front, here in the middle, my right, your left, my left, your right, all over the place. All right, so hands up if you haven't gotten one of these first guidebooks yet. We want everybody in our church family to have one of these guidebooks that talks about where we've been, where we're at right now as a church, and the vision that God has put before us. If you've missed any part of the series, week one, week two, I wanna challenge you, especially if you're part of our city family, go online, go on our app, go on our podcast and get caught up. And especially watch that 11, 12 minute video that we emailed out to our whole church, but it's on our app, it's on our website, it's on our YouTube channel, it's on our podcast. Go and watch that video and make sure that you're caught up on where we've been, where we're at, and where we're headed. Project one, that series, that season that we entered into 12 months ago, 
was all about stepping out in risk, stepping out with faith to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. We said there is one God, there is one name by which we are saved, that's the name of Jesus. And that means if there's one God and one name by which we are saved, we said there is one family, one faith, one focus that is worthy of giving our one life for. And we issued two challenges. The first challenge to our church was this, that we would be all, all in. That it wouldn't be some gave all or, or all gave some, but that we would all be all in. 100% engagement, all, all in. That was the first challenge. The second challenge was this, and it's an overflow of the first challenge. The second challenge is that I would give my all. Like David in 1 Chronicles 29, he said this, because of my devotion to the temple of my God, because I'm all, all in, right? I am giving all. All, so first challenge, all, all in, out of the overflow of what God's doing in my heart, right? Out of the overflow, then I'm gonna give my all, like David did in 1 Chronicles 29. We said this, it was time for a new core group, just like our original core group that started this church a little over five years ago. We said it was time for a new core group to rise up and to launch us into the next season of our church, a season we find ourselves in the middle, in, uh, the middle of right now. And we said, it's once again gonna take faith, surrender, and sacrifice to live for something bigger than ourselves and make an eternal impact. As I said, we're a year in. And you guys that made commitments have been faithful to those commitments. And God has used you to do so much. And we've got 12 months left. And as we consider what lies before us as a church, we believe God led us to go verse by verse through 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. And here's the key verse for this series. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 5. For their first action, Paul's talking about the Macedonians. He's talking to the Corinthians and he's describing the heart, the mindset, the attitude, the vision of these Macedonian believers. And he says this, for their first action was to give themselves to the Lord and to us. First to the Lord and to us. Just as Paul said, God wanted them to do. That this is the will of God for the Macedonians and for that matter for you and I to give ourselves first to the Lord and then to us. If you'll pull out that commitment card that's in that guidebook, maybe you have kept yours with you since you were here in the past couple of weeks. We've got extras of these in the lobby. We've got extra guidebooks. On this card, there are three challenges that we're calling our Project One challenges, our first, if you will, challenges. The challenges are to make a commitment. Some of you that weren't here last year for Project One are gonna be challenged by God through his word to make a commitment to project one. Or maybe you're here and you just didn't make a commitment last year. I believe God's gonna speak to you about making a commitment for these final 12 months. For others of us that made a commitment, God's gonna speak to us through his word about finishing strong, about following through with that commitment. And then some of us are gonna be challenged by God to increase that original commitment over these final 12 months. Maybe something has changed or maybe God's just calling you to more sacrifice, whatever that looks like for you, we're gonna challenge you for these remaining weeks in this series to pray through this commitment card. And our prayer is that whatever you end up putting on that card here in a couple of weeks on Sunday, November 12th, that's commitment weekend, mark your calendars, be here that Sunday as we commit together as a church. What, what, what our prayer is, is that whatever you put on that card is gonna represent you giving yourself first to the Lord and then to us. 
So be here Sunday, November 12th, as we covenant together as a church and take these steps together. Here's what I know about every last one of you in the room if you're a follower of Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have the spirit of God living inside of you and beating to live for something bigger than yourself, to give yourself to something bigger than yourself. It's the glory of God. It's to repent from the idolatry of living for a small, insignificant story that's just about me and my kingdom. It's to live for something bigger than myself. It's the glory of God. And listen, if you want to get to the end of your life and know that you did more than just pay bills and occupy space and consume resources, it's going to take living out these verses in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 and responding to these first challenges. So if you got your Bible, turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Let's dive back in. We're going to finish 2 Corinthians 8. Today, we'll pick up in 2 Corinthians 9 next week. Open our app and go to message notes. If you don't have our app, now's a great time to download it in your app store. It's called the City Church Lubbock. All the verses and the points and the quotes are going to be there. There's some fill in the blanks for you. So it's a great way to stay engaged in our time together. But let's dive in. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Before I do that, let me give you some background once again so that you know what's happening uh, right, right now. First of all, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 through 7, here's what Paul has been talking about. First of all, Paul's going to say, God has comforted us with the gospel and with the Holy Spirit so that we who've been comforted by these things can now in turn comfort others with the gospel and through the Holy Spirit. Paul's challenged the Corinthians to share in the sufferings of Christ together with all of the other Christians in the first century who were suffering for the cause of the gospel. Paul has challenged the Corinthians to share in the ministry together as ministers of the new covenant, that we are all, every one of us, ministers of the new covenant. And Paul is challenging the Corinthians to participate, to join with him and others as ministers of the new covenant. Paul has said that the glory of the new covenant makes it worthy to suffer and die for. That the new covenant of grace, that the gospel is so glorious that it is worthy to suffer and sacrifice and risk and even die for. Paul's going to say in 2 Corinthians 5, we are ambassadors of Christ and God is making his appeal to the world through us. Through you, God is making his appeal to the world through you and through us together as a church. Paul's going to say that we have been faithfully preaching the truth of the gospel and serving God regardless of the cost and regardless of the sacrifices. So, so this is the backdrop for 2 Corinthians chapter 8, right? Everything that we're going to read in chapter 8 and chapter 9, where we've been and where we're going over the last couple of weeks, everything in 8 and 9 is all an overflow of everything that Paul has been talking about in chapters 1 through 7, that the Glory of the new covenant is worthy of sacrifice and risk and stepping out in faith, that we're ambassadors of Christ, that we faithfully preach the, the truth and we serve God regardless of the cost, regardless of, this, of the sacrifices. This is the backdrop of chapter eight. And it's why we get chapter eight and nine about being radically generous with the money that God has given us because of 2 Corinthians 1 through Seven. Now, if you've been here, you know there's something else also going on in the background, and that is there's an emergency, right? 
especially if you're here week one. We, we said there's an emergency. The, the, the Jerusalem church, the believers in Jerusalem are suffering greatly because of the famine. And so Paul has been raising money from the churches for 10 years. Guys, it's difficult for me to preach on this for four or five weeks, okay? Paul was raising money for 10 years. I mean, that sounds awful, okay? But I'm just gonna be real with you, right? But Paul for 10 years has been raising money, not only for the spread of the gospel, but to help these Jerusalem believers. There's an emergency and Paul's writing to the Corinthians here in eight and nine to encourage them to follow through on what they've already promised they were gonna do in their giving. Paul's encouraging them to follow through and he's using the churches in Macedonia, we saw this in the last couple of weeks, as an example of their response to the emergency. And he's challenging the Corinthians to have that same attitude to respond to the emergency in the same way that the Macedonians have. And so in week one of this series, we, we said that if we're gonna give ourselves first to the Lord and then to us, we've gotta understand that, that the grace of God, that we've received grace and so we dispense grace, that grace receivers are grace dispensers. We saw in week two that we give first to the Lord and then to each other. We're, we're, we have that kind of devotion because of the gospel, because God gave his son first. And so as a result, we, we give ourselves first to the Lord and then to us today, as we continue in chapter eight, we're gonna see that giving ourselves first to the Lord and then to us is going to require stewardship. Stewardship. So let's dive in. Second Corinthians eight, starting in verse 16, it says this, but thank God, Paul says, he, God has given Titus the same enthusiasm for you that I have. Titus welcomed our request that he visit you again. In fact, he himself was very eager to go and see you. And we're also sending another brother with Titus. All the churches praise him as a preacher of the good news. Let's stop there for just a second. Paul says that Titus has this enthusiasm. He's enthusiastic about the ministry, about going to visit the Corinthians, about collecting this gift, that he's eager, Paul says, to do so. Now, what do most of us get enthusiastic about? I mean, let's just be real, right? We get enthusiastic about sports, about money, about stuff, about trips, about promotions, about bonuses, right? We, we get enthusiastic about these things, right? We're, 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 we're eager to give ourselves so that we can experience these things. And there's nothing wrong with these things in and of themselves. But let's just be real. These are the things that we find ourselves enthusiastic about, right? I mean, just think about over the last week with the Texas Rangers. Now, I know every single one of you are Rangers fans. You're not an Astros fan, and you're not a Diamondbacks fan, right, Dwayne? There are no Diamondbacks, but yeah, no, we are a Rangers family because the third baseman for the Rangers is a part of our church family. And so you're a Rangers fan, whether you like it or not, okay? So, so that's just who we are. But this past week has been incredible, right? I, I mean, seeing Seeger hit that two-run home run to, to, to tie it up. Uh, Garcia hitting a, a home run, walk-off home run. It's been amazing if you're like me, You've been up cheering and yelling and, and, and screaming and, and, and celebrating, and that's fine, right? That, that's, that's cool. There's nothing wrong with that in and of itself. But what does it say about us when we're enthusiastic for those things, but then we come in here and we're singing about the all-sufficient merit of Jesus with our arms crossed, 
with little to no effort, with little to no excitement. Oh, that's cool. All sufficient merit? Yeah. Cool. Thanks, Jesus. But for home runs and touchdowns, we cheer. For promotions and bonuses, we're excited. We're thrilled. Like, what does it say about what's really first in our hearts, right? When we're more enthusiastic for the stuff and for what 18 and 21-year-old kids do than we are about the all-sufficient merit of Jesus who did what you could never do in meeting all the righteous requirements of the law and then died for you on a cross to save you from your sin, to save you from eternity, separated from God in hell? Come on, let's think about it. I mean, let's, let's, let's be honest about what's really going on in our hearts when there's no enthusiasm for worship. There's no enthusiasm for ministry like Titus said. Next week, Paul's going to say that we should have that same enthusiasm and eagerness to give. We start talking about giving. Listen, I'm like you. I don't want, I, I'd rather not preach on this for four or five weeks. My guess is you would rather me not too. Why? Let's just get real. It's probably because the Lord is not first in our hearts. We're going to see next week. Paul, Paul's going to say, if, if everything that we've been talking about is true, there should be an eagerness. There should be enthusiasm for participating in ministry through giving. Let's keep going. Verse 19. Paul says about this brother who's going to travel with, with, with Titus, who's, who's, just, who's a famous preacher of the gospel in the first century. Verse 19, he was appointed by the churches to accompany us as we take the offering to Jerusalem, a service that glorifies the Lord and shows our eagerness to help. We are traveling together to guard against any criticism for the way we are handling this generous gift. We are careful to be honorable before the Lord, but we also, want to, we also want everyone else to see that we are honorable. We are also sending with them another one of our brothers who has proven himself many times and has shown on many occasions how eager he is. He is now even more enthusiastic because of his great confidence in you. If anyone asks about Titus, say that he is my partner who works with me to help you. And the brothers with him have been sent by the churches and they bring honor to Christ. If we're going to have this first kind of mentality, giving ourselves first to the Lord and then to us, here, here's, here's what it's going to require. We, we said stewardship. So here's what we're going to talk about for the rest of our time together. We're going to talk about the lineage of stewardship. Our lineage of stewardship, like this stewardship DNA that is passed down from one generation of believers to the next. And to do that, we first, we got to talk about original stewardship. 
original stewardship. Like what's happening here in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. This is original stewardship. This is where it all begins. This is where we get it from. Original stewardship. Look in verse 20. Paul says, we're going to guard against criticism. We're going to do everything that we can to guard against the criticism of the way that we're handling this gift, the way that we're handling this money. Verse 21, some translations say this, that Paul says, we're taking pains. We're going to great lengths to do what's honorable with this money in the sight of God and in the sight of others. Why? Why, Paul? Why are you guarding against any criticism? Why are you taking pain, some translations say, going to great lengths to to, to handle this money in a way that's honorable to God and and honorable to others, to, to, to us? Why? Here's why. Paul knows this money isn't his, it's theirs. He's the manager, he's a steward, right? It's not his money, it's their money. But then is it really their money? No, it's not even really their money either, it's God's money. God has given these people in this church money that they have in turn given to him for the sake of ministry. And because Paul knows it's not his money, it's their money, and they need to handle it and use it in such a way that first is honorable to God and then to them because it's their money, it's not his money. Paul says we take great pains to manage it and to handle it in a way that honors God and in a way that is honorable to you. Why? Because I'm not the owner. I'm a steward. And because I'm a steward, I've got to take great pains and go to great lengths to make sure I handle this money in a way that honors God and honors the people that gave it. You gotta catch this because I'm a steward, not an owner. I go to great pains, great lengths to make sure I'm using the money the way it was intended to be used, right? Because I'm just a manager. I'm just a steward. I'm not the owner. And so as Paul delivers this gift to Jerusalem, he's going to be accompanied by a team of men well known for their integrity. And their presence is going to guarantee a public accounting for the gifts and also provide protection from robbers. So here's what Paul is saying. You don't have to trust me. You don't have to trust me alone. But you can trust us because we're gonna do this together and we're gonna take great pains to make sure that what we do is honorable and above reproach. Verse 20, Paul says this, we wanna do what's honorable before the Lord and because of, and, and, and before others because we are stewards, not owners. Paul was always concerned about doing what was right in God's eyes rather than human's eyes. Think Galatians 2.20, I'm a servant of God. If, if I were gonna be a servant of God, I can't be a servant of man. If I'm a servant of man, I can't be a servant of God. Paul had always been concerned about doing what was right in God's eyes, especially since 
God's way and man's ways are often in conflict. But here, here, there's a difference. There's a change. There's a shift. Here, he's going to take the additional step of taking into consideration what's right in the eyes of others. Paul wants to make sure that everything is above suspicion and looks right even in the eyes of men. And so Paul is taking pains here to make sure this offering is handled in an irreproachable manner. In verse 19, he says this brother who was famous for preaching the gospel, he says he was appointed. This is the Greek term for someone who is appointed from an election. Like Acts 15, we've got another business meeting happening here. You thought business meetings were of the devil, right? No. We've got records of actual church business meetings that are happening in the first century where there's actually hands being raised and people voting on stuff. You see, sometimes we look at the first century, the early church, and we think with rose-colored glasses, oh, they're so spiritual, and it was all about the gospel, and there was no business. You know, business is just really in the American church. No one else is doing business things. No, 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 no. Even in the first century church, we've got votes taking place. There's a very practical business side of what they're doing. This brother was elected through voting. He was chosen, Paul says, by the churches, not by him, but as a representative of those people and of their gifts. In eight, chapter 22, Paul says there's even another brother who Paul says has proven himself. He's been tested in lower positions of authority and with less responsibility before achieving this very lofty role of collecting this gift and, and, and traveling with, with Paul and with Titus and this other brother to collect this gift and to transport this gift. This brother, Paul says, has been proven trustworthy. So Paul, why all the pains? Why the business meetings? Why, why the extra traveling? What, why? Because it's not Paul's money. And when you're handling someone else's money, you gotta catch this. When you're handling someone else's money as a manager, as a steward, you must take great pains and go to great lengths to make sure you're using that money, you're using their, you're using the owner's money in a way they want it used. Godly stewardship, we see right here, recognizes that I'm not the owner and I'm a steward of the owner's money to be used how the owner wants it used. This is original stewardship. Well, Generations later, you and I find ourselves here in a community of faith where money is given that has been given by God to you, to us as a church family to be used for ministry. So we talked about original stewardship. Next, we're gonna move on to communal stewardship. Like what does it look like here? Like here at the city church, we, we've inherited this DNA of stewardship. And so what does that look like here? Well, to explain that, I'm going to just kind of tell you a little bit of behind the scenes of the way this church works and the way we operate. In our church, we believe in elders leading the church. And so we have what's called a plurality 
of elders. There's not one elder here. We, we believe in a plurality of elders. Our elders give spiritual, directional, doctrinal, financial, legal oversight to the church. Our elders are myself, Pastor Brandon, Pastor Mark, Pastor Barry, Mitchell Anderson, who's a member of our church, and Kobe Colley, who's a member of our church. Now, we don't have time to dive into all of the qualifications to be an elder. We've done that before. A year, year and a half ago in our series on the church, we talked about the biblical qualifications for elders and why we're elder-led. We, we, we talked through all of that. We don't have time to do that here. Here, I just want to remind you that we are led by a board with a plurality of elders. Next, we have a finance team. Our finance team meets monthly to review our income, our expenses, our financial position, and gives advice and direction on future decisions regarding the business operations of our church. Our finance team is made up of all of our elders because we want all of them to know what's going on. And then Dwayne Youngberg, who's a member of our church, Landon Willis, who's a member of our church, Mike Bazaar, who's a member of our church, Corey Neal, who's a member of our church, and Kim Riddle, who's also a member of our church. These are our finance team members, and they meet every month to review all of those things and review our financial statements and bank accounts, and they see all the checks and reconciliation reports and uh, profit and loss and, and our, our balance sheet, all of those things. They review all of those things every single month. So we have our elders, we have our finance team. Next, we have a compensation team. Our compensation team determines the compensation for our four executive pastors. That's myself, Brandon, Barry, and Mark, and then approves the rest of our personnel budget. Our compensation team is made up of our two lay elders. When we say lay, we're talking about non-staff members, so they have, there's no conflict of interest there. And then we have two of our other finance team members, Mike Bazaar and Kim Riddle, who also serve on our compensation team. Next, I want to tell you a little bit about our Sunday count team. We have our finance director who's on our staff, go along with our police officer and, and a member of our finance team, and they collect the money from the giving boxes. They take it into this back room and they count it and they all count it together. And they, 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 uh, there's some accountability there where they all check the amounts and they sign this uh, form and, and, and total it and all that kind of stuff. And then we deposit. So, so I just want you to know, like, I'm not involved in any of that. I don't touch any of that money. In fact, we have several different checking accounts and things like that. I'm not a signer on any of those accounts. I can't sign a check. I can't withdraw money. I can't even probably deposit money. I don't know. I've never done it. So, but I just want you to know, like, that is the level of accountability and, and, and effort that we go to to make sure that everything that we're doing is above board and above reproach so that no criticism, like Paul said, could be brought against us. This past year in 2023, we've been in what's called an audit prep year where our auditor, our outside auditor is getting us ready for our first audit, what's called an audit review in January of 2024. And starting this next year, we always have an annual members meeting where we present our income and expenses and answer questions and all those kinds of things. This next year will be the first year we've actually had an out, our outside audit review report to go along with uh, that annual review at our members meeting. So our members meeting has been in January. It's probably going to be in February to give us time to complete that audit review in January. Our, our prayer here every Sunday, you probably heard Mark pray it just a little bit ago. Our prayer here every Sunday and every month at our finance team meeting is that God would help us to steward the money that he's given here 
to be used for the fame of Jesus. To help and to care for our church body, to minister to our church body and to make disciples both here and there. Where we pray every week on Sunday mornings, every month at our finance team meetings, that God would help us to steward this money well for the fame of Jesus. It's why if you were here in week one, those believers in Jerusalem originally gave money, right? They gave money to missionaries and for the spread of the gospel so that the name of Jesus would be known among the nations. And so they gave, and we said in week one, it was why the Macedonians were so compelled to give, and it was why Paul was saying the Corinthians should be so compelled to give, because those original believers in Jerusalem gave to another emergency, the emergency that they didn't know Jesus, and so they gave so that the name of Jesus would be known among the nations. That's our prayer, that God would use the money here so that the name of Jesus would be known among the nations. And listen, you should make that your prayer. Every time you give a dime here in a box or online, if you give online, you should get an email every time that gift is gonna happen. And then after the fact, stop and pray that God, would you use that money that you've blessed me with? I'm not the, I, I didn't belong to me. You're the owner, I'm, I'm the steward. God, would you help me to use your money in a way that honors and glorifies you and gets the name of Jesus to the nations. That's our prayer. It should be your prayer too, which leads to our final stop on the lineage of stewardship. We've talked about original stewardship, communal stewardship. Now we're gonna talk about individual stewardship. We've talked about them in the first century. We've talked about us here as a church family. Now we gotta talk about what stewardship means for you individual stewardship. Jesus said this in Luke 16, if you're faithful in little, you'll be faithful with much. If you're dishonest with little, you'll be dishonest with much. Jesus would say, if you're not faithful with what you have, then even what you have will be taken from you. Can I tell you this morning, maybe the reason you're not seeing that increased salary or role or position or promotion, maybe, I'm not saying it is, but maybe one of the reasons is that you're not being faithful with what God has given you. Maybe, I, I, I don't know. But Jesus told us, if you're faithful with little, you'll be given more. If you're not faithful with what you have, even what you have will be taken. There's a consequence to not stewarding the owner's money in the way he wants it to be used. There's a consequence. There's discipline that their father will bring upon his kids when they don't steward his money in the way he wants it spent. And if you're faithful with what you have, then you could be entrusted with more. It doesn't mean God's gonna give you more, but you could be. You could be entrusted with more if you're faithful with what you have. You see, here's what you've gotta understand. Every last one of us are nonprofit ministries. You're like, Clayton, no, you, you got it backwards. Like, you're the nonprofit ministry. You're the church, you're the 501c3. No, 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 no. Every last one of you are a nonprofit ministry. In God's eyes, you're a nonprofit ministry. He's just making donations to your ministry. 
Everything you have, it's not yours. It's a donation by God to every single one of his little nonprofit ministries. And so here's what happens when you start taking God's donations and not using them the way that he wants them to be used. You, you just sit on them for your own luxuries and comfort alone. There, there's nothing wrong with providing for your family. There's nothing wrong with luxury or comfort in, in and of itself. There's nothing wrong with those things in and of themselves. But when you use God's donations to your nonprofit ministry for those things and those things alone, you are embezzling God's money. You're embezzling his money that he has donated to you for you to steward for his name and glory. And when you're dishonest, when you embezzle, make no mistake, there will be a consequence. Because the owner won't put up with bad stewardship for very long. God blesses you financially to increase your capacity for generosity, not just to increase your standard of living. There's nothing wrong with that in and of itself, but that's not the only reason, and it's sure not the primary reason God increases your capacity. He increases your capacity for the sake of generosity, not simply for your standard of living alone. This means if you don't steward generously to the mission of Jesus, you're actually stealing. You're embezzling God's money. Richard Foster said it like this in his book, Freedom of Simplicity. The goal of work is not to gain wealth and possessions. Now, hear what he's saying. Is there anything wrong with gaining wealth and possessions? No, it's not the goal though. It's not the priority. Remember, we talked about this in week one. What's priority, what's primary, and what's secondary, right? What's the goal? Richard Foster says, it's not the, the, the goal is not wealth and possessions. The goal, Foster says, is to serve the common good and bring glory to God. That's the goal of work. You see, you're not just going to work to provide a home and food for your family. Those, those are great things, and you, you should do those things. You should work hard and make as much as you can to provide for your family. The foster says, and I believe this is a biblical principle, the highest goal of work is not wealth and possessions. The highest goal of your work, of your paycheck, is the glory of God. God makes donations to his nonprofit ministry to be used for ministry, for the glory of God. We are stewards of this story. We are stewards of the kingdom of God in our day. So the big idea today is this. I'm sure you could guess it. You are a steward, not an owner. You're a steward, not an owner. And good stewardship, you gotta catch this. Good stewardship starts with the understanding that I am on a battleship. 
that, that our commanding officer has given us a mission to make disciples of all the nations. You and I, as followers of Jesus, are not on a cruise ship to our grave. We're on a battleship. We've got a mission from our commanding officer, make disciples of all the nations. And so good stewardship starts with the understanding that I am on a battleship. The Macedonians, Paul said, we said in week one, responded to the emergency with generosity. And we said they responded to an emergency of physical need in the Jerusalem church, right? But we also said they, they gave knowing that the Jerusalem church originally, the mothership responded to an emergency too, that they, the Macedonians, the Corinthians, and all the Gentiles among the nations did not know Jesus. And so the Jerusalem church responded to a gospel emergency with generosity. And in turn, the Macedonians responded to this emergency of need, of physical need with generosity. I've been bothered and disturbed by a quote from Francis Chan. And because I don't wanna be bothered and disturbed alone, I'm gonna <laughs> give you this quote every week of this series to bother you, to disturb you in the best way possible. Francis Chan said this in his book, Erasing Hell. He said, we have become, American Christians, we have become dangerously comfortable. Come on, don't, don't skip over this moment. We have become dangerously comfortable. Believers ooze with wealth and let their addictions to comfort and security numb. Put us to sleep. Numb the radical urgency of the gospel. There is a gospel emergency. There are people in our city, in our state, our country, among the nations, that don't know Jesus. There are people among unreached people groups that will be born, live, and die and never hear the name of Jesus. That should disturb you to your core. There's an emergency. And generosity to the emergency is the primary way we drive a stake in the heart of our idolatry of comfort and security. We said this a year ago in Project One, we're saying it again in this series first, it's time for a new core group, just like the, the Macedonians here, who will respond to the emergency with generosity, driving a stake in our idolatry. It's time for a new group to rise up to get uncomfortable and to give themselves first to the Lord and then to us. I want you to check out this video from Caleb and Haley Howe and see what the Lord's been doing in their lives over the last year. Check it out. We came to the city because we were at a place where we were looking for a new church home. Um, and we had church hunted for several months and everywhere that we went just didn't quite feel like home. Um, and so when we heard the city was launching, we came to the first 
launch service at the Science Spectrum, and it just felt like we had found our home. We were so excited to, to get to be a part. I recently started volunteering the kids' ministry and just seeing our kids get baptized and going through uh, kid faith classes and just seeing how involved the kids' ministry is here. The dis true just discipleship that was there being poured into our kids, that alone is worth investing in for sure. Um, foster care and adoption is something that has always been really heavy on our hearts and we feel like has been God's call in our lives. And so to get to see our church invest in that and to get to see our church invest in other families is really special. And when I looked up at the front and Courtney and Phil had gone to be prayed over and there was a line of people, it just felt like a line of people who wanted to encourage them and pray for them. It felt like that was God's answer to so many prayers that I've prayed for two years for this ministry. Um, so it's really really cool to get to be a part of that. We made a Project One commitment because we are just so excited about the future of the City Church and we're so excited about the things to come and about the things that are planned. We're so excited about the things that our church is about and we wanted to be a part. Um, I feel like God has taught us a lot through our generosity journey that um, mostly that He's faithful to provide no matter what. Um, even when sometimes it looks like it might not happen, He always shows up. With my income being commission-based, we knew that um, our giving was going to be inconsistent, but we had this long-term goal that we um, made for Project One, and we just knew that to stay focused on that, and um, it's, it looks different every week, but we're committed to our goal, and so we'll see, um, you know, God's faithfulness will be in that outcome, for sure. Some things that excite me about the future of the City Church are things that are already happening. The fact that our church is never afraid to dive into really hard places and really hard conversations um, is something that's exciting to me. And the fact that it's done with love and mercy and grace and we're equipped to, to go out and handle those things is exciting to me. Um, the verse-by-verse -verse teaching is really exciting and I'm looking forward to where we go next with that. Um, and just the family discipleship as a whole I feel like our church does a really good job of equipping us to equip our kids to go into the world and and be disciples. Would you help me thank the house for sharing their story? Listen, because, because of your giving, we've seen hundreds of people here give their lives to Jesus and get baptized over the last five years. We've been able to help people almost every week our church has been in existence, almost every week. We've helped somebody with rent to keep them in their apartment or in their home, with food, with power to keep the power on at their, at their, at, at their apartment or at their home, with, with water, almost every week. And now, especially as our church has grown, it's sometimes multiple times a week. A week ago, we had 70, 80 kids here for the weekend and God did incredible things in our, our student ministry. We, we've seen now over 50 couples go through our re-engage ministry. We're right now sponsoring two translations of the Bible into languages that belong to unreached people groups. They've never seen or read a Bible before. We got a progress report this week and it just brought tears to my eyes see where they're at with these two translations of the scripture for these unreached people groups. 
At Hope City alone in the last month, we've seen over 130 prisoners baptized between our three locations of Hope City. Yeah, that, that is worth clapping for. Listen, that stuff is happening because you gave. And so what I wanna invite you to do now is to take out this commitment card. It was in your guidebook. Maybe you've had it on you. If you don't, again, I wanna challenge you to get one at the Welcome Center on your way out because we want you to pray over this commitment card for these next two weeks. Because on Sunday, November 12th, I don't want anyone to feel like they've been manipulated into some sort of decision they had to make on the spur of the moment. No. We're taking a month to, to dive into this and to challenge you to pray about making a commitment, about finishing strong, or about increasing. So that you might could say, I'm giving myself first to the Lord and then to us. And so that's what we are praying is represented on your commitment card on Sunday, November 12th, that, that what you put on that card says, everything I have is on loan from God to be used to bless the world. So we wanna bring our first and best for the glory of God. So be here Sunday, November 12th, as we covenant together as a church to take these next steps together. Second Corinthians 8, verse 24, the last verse we're gonna to cover today, Paul says this. So after all this, he tells the Corinthians, show them your love, show them your love. And then he says this, and prove to all the churches that are boasting about you. Paul's been boasting about the Corinthians and their, their initial eagerness and excitement to give. Paul says, prove to everybody that our boasting about you is Justified. So Paul says, after all this, after our track record and our, our, our taking pains to, to be accountable with this money and to be good stewards, after all of these things, Paul challenges the Corinthians to prove what's first in their hearts. Prove that you're giving yourself first to the Lord and then to us. Would you pray with me? Heads bowed, eyes closed, just kind of a moment between you and the Lord. We, we give, I saw this last week. We give because God gave first. John 3, 16 says, for God so loved the world that he gave, he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish, but would have everlasting life. He gave his one and only son. We, we sang about it earlier, who came and met all the righteous requirements of the law and then died on a cross, paying your fine for sin. God loved you so much that he gave his one and only son for you. And some of you are here today and you, you've been thinking that, that maybe your good deeds will outweigh your bad deeds and that will somehow make you right with God. That, that maybe because you're basically a good person, that God will overlook your sin and let you into his heaven. Listen, the Bible is clear in Ephesians 2. Salvation is not a reward for the good things that we've done. It doesn't matter how much money you give or how many times you go to church or how religious you are. Ephesians 2 says salvation's not a reward for the good things that we've done. So good people don't go to heaven. Religious people don't go to heaven. 
Paul says in Ephesians 2, we are saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. By grace, the grace of God. You, you, you are saved not because you deserved it. You, you don't deserve it because of your sin. By grace through faith in Jesus and the gift that God gave. Every last one of us have sinned against God and the penalty for that sin is death, eternity separated from God in hell. But the great news of the gospel is that God loves you so much that he gave, he sent his son Jesus to die for you. So Romans 10, nine says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And so today I wanna challenge some of you that have been thinking that maybe because you're good enough, God's gonna let you into heaven. I wanna challenge you to abandon all hope in your own merit or in being good enough and place all your hope in what Jesus has done for you and give your life to Jesus. Turn from your sin and give your life to Jesus today. When you make that decision, your sin will be forgiven. You'll be made right with God and you can know for sure that when you die, you're going to heaven. Not because of what you've done, but because of what Jesus did for you. And so if that's you and you wanna give your life to Jesus today, pull out that connect card in the seat back in front of you, fill it out, check the box that says, I'm committing my life to Christ. Take it to our team at the Welcome Center in the lobby. They wanna pray with you and celebrate that decision with you. But God, I pray that you would use your word today, this series to stir in us a first, a, a giving ourselves first to the Lord and then to us. Would you stir that up in us? God, that, that you, by your spirit, you would drive a stake in the heart of our idolatry of comfort and security. That your spirit would stir up an enthusiasm and eagerness to be radically generous to the emergency. God, would you create a radically generous people here at this church that give themselves first to the Lord and then to us. God, would you wake us up? We've become numb to the emergency. Wake us up. Wake us up to the reality that we're on a battleship so that we might be good stewards of everything that you've given us. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand as our team leads us in worship?